Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Today the title of the message is the uh, the Judas factor, um, and you'll understand that more as we get into it. I, uh, Judas is a name, unless you're reading the Bible, you don't hear a lot about. Uh, how, how many have uh, ever seen parents name that newborn baby boy Judas? I've never run into that one. Kind of like you don't want to name your daughter Jezebel, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it's not necessarily a, a, a positive connotation that we're going to talk about today. Before we kind of jump into it, how do you know how much something is worth? I mean, the true value of, uh, of something. People in marketing and sales will kind of give you this as a definition. Value is determined by what a buyer is willing to pay. Uh, so, you know, whatever someone's willing to, to pay for it, that's kind of how they uh, look at the value. There are a lot of companies that have been around for a few years that have kind of made their lick, so to speak, by that philosophy, things like eBay. Uh, there's uh, even a, a local Facebook page. It's uh, uh, one man's uh, junk is another man's treasure uh, and, and everything to where, you know, people don't want this. And to them, they think it's junk and they'll put it out there and people will pay pay money for it. Uh, on eBay, many times, uh, I've, I've bought several things, I guess, over the, over the years on eBay. And um, on, on eBay, a lot of times I've noticed right near the end of the auction, people get crazy a lot of times. I've even seen people pay more uh, at the end of the auction just because they want to win the doggone auction than what you could go buy it new for at a store uh, somewhere. They just get carried away uh, by it. And, and they get their, get their values all out of whack. Uh, some some interesting sales that have happened on uh, eBay. There's a UFO detector that sold for $135 uh, without the batteries. You had to buy the batteries uh, extra. Uh, and uh, a company in Brazil made it. And they told you up front that because of the atmospheric changes in Earth that it is not 100% reliable. Uh, and, and yet it was supposed to kind of the atmosphere pick up changes whenever UFO would enter. So someone paid $135 for that uh, for that item. Uh, a grilled cheese sandwich, which the seller claimed to bear the image on the outside of the bread of, uh, of Mother Mary uh, and, and everything uh, on it. I, I think it sold uh, for $28,000. I want to start making cheese sandwiches. How about you, huh? <laughs> See what kind of images. We can put the butter on them in a certain way and, and try and get them to, to have certain images. A haunted walking cane sold for $65,000 for a haunted walking cane. Um, someone advertised that they, uh, if you won this auction, they would tell you the meaning of life. So to the highest bidder, uh, something that philosophers and theologians and everyone have been trying to go through for years, they said, if you win this bid, that we will tell you uh, the meaning of life. And someone won the auction for $3.26. It might have been the best, you know, $3.26 they ever spent. I would guess not, though. 
some other things that have sold. Um, the piece of chewing gum that Brittany Spears had chewed and spat out on the ground, and somebody picked it up, and it sold at auction on eBay for two, $263. And my favorite one might be this. There was a potato chip in the shape of a boot that went for $1,000. Now, I'm just wondering if UPS got that to them intact or the post office because I get stuff all the time in shipping that's a lot you know, more rigid than, uh, than a potato chip. Now, all those things might sound crazy to us. All, all those pictures that I, that I just gave you. My, my point in telling you those is simply this, that people tend to maybe have misplaced values when it comes to values. You understand what I'm saying by that? I know it kind of sounds like a, like a tongue twister a little bit, but people tend to have misplaced values when it comes to values. We will think something that is not worth very much at all is worth the world. And the stuff that's really the most important, we minimize it and act like it's not worth very much. And while you and I might have thought, man, those people on eBay, those sales were just crazy. Can, can you imagine maybe how God looks at us sometimes? When we make choices that are completely upside down. When we value things in our life that we really shouldn't even be placing a lot of value on and we minimize what ought to have the highest value. God probably looks at us like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Here's God's eBay offer for you. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, now, to me, that sounds like a no-brainer because here's your choice. Death, wages of sin is death. Or eternal life is a free gift. Hmm, you know, which, which would you choose? And yet, people make wrong choices all the time. And the truth of the matter is all of us have been 100% wrong at least sometime in our life. The Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It also says all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So all of us 100% of the time we've, we've chosen to do what is wrong. We, we, we will choose, we will hit the, the buy it button when, when it comes to, to things that we know God doesn't want in our lives. Or we will refuse to hit the buy it button when we know it's something that God wants us to be involved with. That ought to be active in our lives. We, we make wrong choices. We, we have mixed up values, as I said a moment ago, when it, when it comes to, to values. And you might wonder, why in the world do we do that? Why do we, why do we hit a bid button for something that we know is not God's will for our lives? Why do we put that in our cart to check out and buy? Why do we make those kinds of choices? 
And I think probably partially, maybe mostly, it's true. We take those, we make those choices because we believe the false advertising of the thief that we talked about last week. The thief that wants to come into your life and steal and kill and destroy. He, he gives us false advertising all the time. We read this last week, but just to kind of set the context, here's what Jesus said to a bunch of religious people, by the way. You're of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So so in other words, this, this thief has a desire to make us think what is good is bad, what is bad is good, what is up is down, what what is down is up, to make us think something that is trash is worth millions of dollars, and to convince us into buying in to something that is not worth anything, and yet we buy into it like it's worth millions that's what he wants to do he gives us his false advertising we're told in the Bible he even disguises himself to kindly pull that off He, he shows up as an angel of light to make us think what he's offering us is good. If he showed up with a Hollywood version of Satan with a, a, a red suit and a pitchfork and this ugly, you know, contorted, distorted face looking like an, a, a demon that we get in our mind, then we would kind of figure out, I don't think I want to do business with you. But, but he doesn't. He appears like an angel of light so he can give us this false advertising so we will bid on the stuff that he wants us to bid on. He showed up as a serpent, disguised himself as a serpent there in Genesis. And more crafty than any other beast of the field that God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So his plot was this. I want to get her to begin with to to doubt what God really said. And if I can get her to doubt what God really said, then maybe I can sell her a bill of goods. So he, he convinces her and then Adam to believe a lie. And they, and they buy something they shouldn't have bought. They, they look at something and they value it thinking it's worth a lot. When in essence it kind of cost them everything. God had given them paradise. Put them in paradise as their own personal playground. And, and after God had created he looked at everything and he said, Behold, it's very good. So there wasn't any deficit in the place that God had prepared for them. What happened was this. They believed the false advertising. And, and they valued something. They got their values all messed up. They valued something that really wasn't worth that much. And they wound up losing everything. Because of them choosing Choosing sin. I said a moment ago, we're going to talk about the Judas factor. And the Judas factor, while Judas was not in existence yet at the time, I was talking about all this stuff in, uh, in Genesis, the, the, the factor, the attitude that we're going to see in Judas was. Because as we look at this thought, the Judas factor, it will kind of help us understand why people 
get their values messed up. Why people will think this is worth a lot and it's really just trash. And and they will minimize what is really valuable and what will last forever. Judas Iscariot is the one that we're going to be, be talking about. The, the Judas factor will kind of help us understand why sometimes we fail to be like fountains. We've been talking about this idea of a fountain that we need to overflow from our lives into the lives of others. And instead, we'll adopt the, the mentality of being like a vacuum to where we try and suck everything in for ourselves if we think about Judas in the, in the Judas factor. The Judas factor will help us Understand why sometimes we choose to live self-centered, inward-focused lives rather than living a God-centered, outward-focused life that blesses others. So we talk about the, uh, the Judas factor. To begin with, I want to give you some background uh, to, to the Judas factor. The Judas factor background. Uh, he had a really fortunate life. That, that's the background I want you to understand before we kind of progress in, in the story of Judas. And the reason I say he had this really fortunate life because we're told in Matthew 10, verse 2 through 4, in the list of the name of the disciples, look who's there in the last line. And Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Judas was chosen, handpicked by Jesus Christ to be one of the disciples. That, that means for about three and a half years, Pretty much 24-7, Judas lived in the presence of Jesus. He, he had the chance to walk with Jesus. He had the chance to see amazing miracle after miracle after miracle. To see people healed of diseases. To see the lame walk, the blind see. The, the dead raised to life. He he was standing there when Peter stepped over the edge of the boat and walked on the water on the way to Jesus. He was there when Jesus, just by the the words of his mouth, stilled the storm. He had a very fortunate life to, on a first-hand basis, experience all those things. The thousands being fed, the fish and the... Loaves being multiplied. All those miracles you can think of. Water turned to wine. Whatever miracle you want to talk about. Jesus had the the privilege, the fortunate opportunity in his life to be there and see it. Judas also had the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear him teach like no one had ever taught. And hear him preach. And and yet somehow, even though Judas had all that opportunity, he allowed the thief to whisper into his ear and tell him, but what's in it for you? What do you get out of this, Judas? And Judas even though he had this very fortunate opportunity to see Jesus Christ, who's the epitome of a fountain overflowing into the lives of others. Instead of becoming a fountain himself, he became a vacuum. 
and made his life all about himself. That's the background to the story of Judas. Second thing is one I want you to see is this. I, I want to kind of give you the lowdown about Judas. The, the Judas factor lowdown. Even though he had this very, very fortunate life, he forfeited it. He, he forfeited the, the life opportunities that had been placed before him. He, he forsook all of these opportunities, even though he had this opportunity, this very, very fortunate life to be one of the disciples, to be right there with Jesus and see it all and, and hear it all. He listened again to that thief saying, but what's in it for you? What do you get out of this deal? You start seeing the real lowdown about Judas in Matthew 26. When Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble a woman? For she's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pour this woman on my body. She has done it to prepare me for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was... Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Similar story. Found in John's Gospel, six days before the Passover. Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. And wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And then a little bit later, there at that first Lord's Supper, we're told then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. The same Judas 
that saw all those miracles. That the same Jesus that lived his life around Jesus for those three years, that walked every day with him, that heard the words of Jesus, that same Judas that saw Jesus live his life for others and pour his life out like a fountain for others, that same Judas decided to make his life about himself. To make the focus of his life, what can I get out of it? He made it sound like he was concerned for the poor. Sound like he had a very high motive. But we're told his real motive was this, because he managed the money bag, and he'd been taken out of the money bag. He wanted more money in the money bag, so he'd be able to help himself to get more out. We're told when you kind of start doing a background study to this, we're told that the value of that expensive ointment, that expensive perfume, would have been about a year's wage in that day of time. Judas is probably thinking, man, what I can do with that? Put yourself in his shoes, though, for a moment. Be honest. Imagine for a moment you had a family member that you possibly thought you might be in their inheritance. And all of a sudden they go and they take out all their retirement. And they do so just to go and pour it out. Honestly, what would you do? Some of us would probably call the white wagon with the guys with the white jackets to come and take the person away before they blew all of that money and take them away and put them in an insane asylum because we'd think they're crazy. Some of us might have been shocked like the religious people of that day were shocked because it wasn't just the money that shocked them because when Mary came in and she let her hair down, that was something that a woman in that day and time was not supposed to do in public. It was like a no-no. And not only that, she doesn't just let her hair down in front of Jesus and these other men. She comes over and she starts to cry and, and, and touch Jesus and wipe off his feet with her hair. And, and that also, her touching some man in public would have been a religious no-no in that day. So Judas and, and all the others there were kind of shocked that that is happening. You yourself, I myself, maybe we would be shocked at such a display of extravagance and we think, man, that's such a waste for that to be poured out like that. Until you remember that Jesus had just raised Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus from the grave. And he sat in there alive because of Jesus. Does that set the context a little bit better for you? Does that help you understand maybe why this extravagant act of worship took place? Because Jesus had raised Mary's brother from a rotting grave? And now he's sitting there alive at this meal and, and Mary comes in just an extravagant way, pours out worship upon, upon Jesus. 
See, it makes more sense when you understand the context of it, doesn't it? And if you and I would stop and think about what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus has done for you, what Jesus has done for your family, what Jesus has done and wants to do for your community, what Jesus has done for the world, when we would see it in that context, then we too ought to be motivated to be very extravagant to pour ourselves out for Jesus and other people. If we stop and think about what He has done for us. But Judas wasn't moved. Judas wasn't touched by this extravagant display of worship. Instead, Judas gets up and he goes and he makes a deal with the chief priest to sell Jesus, to betray Jesus, to turn him over to them. Instead, he decides to make a deal. He's going to kind of make, you know, take the money and run, so to speak. But what he does, he takes the money and he runs and it costs him everything. Even before Judas betrayed Jesus, Jesus prayed this. Next slide. In his high priestly prayer, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. Jesus is praying to the Father, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Talking about Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus prayed that about him even before he betrayed him. We're told in the scriptures that he becomes very remorseful for what he has done. And he goes and he tries to give the money back and they're not willing to take it. And he just kind of, you know, flings the rest of the money. We're also told in scripture he had done something with some of the money. You might not have caught this before in the book of Acts. But the Bible tells us he goes out and he commits suicide. He hangs himself. Literally what theologians believe, they also refer to it as hanging yourself when you would impale yourself on a pole. And later on, Peter tells about that as he's speaking in a company of people. He stood up among the brothers, a company of persons who was all about 120. He said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness. So see, he spent some of the money. And, and then falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akadama, which is the field of blood. Now, now, now get all the lowdown here for a minute before we move on about Judas. The background was he was a disciple. The background was he had this opportunity to walk with Jesus, hear Jesus, teach and preach all those years. But it didn't affect him like it should. Instead of him becoming a fountain like Jesus desired, he became a vacuum cleaner and he's keeping everything for himself. So instead of him leaving behind the legacy of being a fountain himself, he leaves behind the legacy of being called a thief in the scriptures. And he leaves behind the legacy 
of a piece of property in Jerusalem being called a field of blood because he impaled himself on a pole and committed suicide and died there. That's the legacy that he left. When he could have left the legacy of being a fountain. We're talking about the Judas factor because you see the Judas factor did not just come around when Judas had his life. It was already in the world. It was already Satan's lie. Live your life for yourself. Judas just gives us a perfect illustration of someone that had all this opportunity to be a fountain, all this opportunity to to be moved and impacted by Jesus and in turn impact the lives of others. So what I want to close by talking to you about is, is this. A Judas factor battleground because it's still going on. Satan is still trying to convince people that what is not really worth anything is worth you living your life for and putting all your energy in. And he's still trying to convince people that what is worth everything is minimal and don't worry about it. He's still trying to get in our heads like he got in the head of Judas to make us think it's all about me. It's all about what I can get out of it. And to be honest with you, we've got a choice to make. We can choose to live a fountain life or we can choose to live a forfeited life. We can live lives that follow Jesus, lives that outflow to bless others, or we can forfeit our lives and the opportunity that God gives us in our lives by trying to gain the world selfishly all for ourselves. There's a real ongoing Judas factor battleground. Live your life for yourself or live your life for God and others. That's your choice. Look what Jesus tells us here in Luke chapter 9. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I want to talk to you just for a moment about a, a fountain life. A fountain life. What does that look like based upon what Jesus said in those verses? First of all, a fountain life is a determined choice. It's something you actively choose. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, and that word would in the, in the Greek literally means a determined or, or an active option or choice. It's not a passive action. It's not something you just stumble into. If we're going to live a fountain life, it's something we have to choose. It's something we determine. It's, it's something that we will in our lives that we want to be the fountain that God wants us to be, that we want to overflow into the lives of others. He said, if anyone would come after me, and that literally means to the back of, the root word meant from the rear. 
And maybe a couple of practical things we can learn just from that word itself. That means that Jesus is going before us and we're behind Him. So we kind of know what we're supposed to do. Amen. We know where we're supposed to walk and how we're supposed to act. He set us in a great example for it. But from the rear also is used in military terms. And in military terms, when you think about being at the rear... That means that you're in a place of kind of safety and security. You're not on the front line. You know what? Jesus went to the front line. He allows us to be in a place of safety and security at the rear. And because of what he did for us by going before us, we should make a determined choice that we're going to be a fountain. It's not just a determined choice, but it's it's also a denial choice. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Word literally means to contradict or to disavow or to reject or to renounce or to shun or deny or, or refuse. I mean, basically, Jesus is saying, still making your life about you, deny yourself, deny what you think your life ought to be about, and choose the life that I want for you. Instead of living the life of a vacuum, instead of living a life like Judas to where you're not impacted by the Word of God and, and by the ministry of, of Jesus, instead of living a life like that, He wants us to deny ourselves and be a fountain. Not keep it in for ourselves, but be willing with our finances and, and our time and our talents to, to pour our lives out. And by doing so, you can find real purpose in your life. I went to a funeral receiving Friday. I'd mentioned to you last week as a prayer request, Chris uh, Atkinson. Some of you know Chris. And what I'm about to tell you, I've got Chris's permission to tell you. Because I asked him last night if I could. So Becky and me go through the line because uh, Bella... The uh, daughter of Chris's girlfriend who had died was seven years old and she was severely handicapped and she had been in the class that Becky works as a teacher's assistant for at, at Hudson Elementary School. Becky literally sat on the floor and rocked her before trying to get her to calm down and quit crying and go to sleep. Sometimes at school they'd have to take turns and hold her and rock her. So after we went through the line, I'm coming out and, and I see Chris's dad. His dad, by the way, owns the uh, Chick-fil-A in, in, in Hickory, the store, not the one in the mall. And, and I'm talking to Chris's dad, and, and I had already told Chris that I was proud of him because I had seen pictures he had put up for months, how he had stepped into the life of Bella and hold her and love her and be there for her. And it made me very proud of Chris. And I was sharing that with Chris's dad, and Chris's dad looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, I think Bella saved Chris's life. And he said, because you know Chris, Chris has lived his life without a lot of purpose and just kind of drift from here to there and everything like that and not have any purpose. But said when he had the chance to step into Bella's life, all of a sudden he had something to do with his life that was significant and made a difference And he said, if it hadn't been for Bella and and being in his life, I think Chris would be dead right now. And I told Chris his dad said that. Last night we were chatting on Facebook, and and, and he said, that's true. 
And I said, do you care if I share it? Because I walked away from there thinking, oh man, that fits what we're talking about. And Chris said, please do. Because he, he, he said, Bella needs to impact as many people as she can. See, the point of that story is simply this. Chris found a purpose to his life by spending his life caring for that little girl. After he had the chance to. We got mother here right now that knows what that's like. I didn't mean to make it so emotional for you, but I know you know what that's like. But in order to have time to invest in somebody else's life and care for them, you have to deny yourself. In order for us to have time to be a fountain, we have to deny ourselves. A fountain life is, is a denial choice. It's also a daily choice. It's not like you pull it off all at once and say, I'm going to be a fountain. And that takes care of it from then on. Jesus said, and, and take up his cross daily. Literally to come over and pick it up. The, the same word for take up is used to sell away or to lift the anchor. As I thought about the definition of that word in the Greek, I thought, wow, then, then maybe we can sell away a little bit, lift the anchor, things that hold us down in our life if we will just make a daily choice to take up a cross and follow Jesus. For us to choose daily to do that. It's also this kind of choice. It's a discipleship choice. Take up your cross daily and follow me, follow Jesus. Literally means to be on the road with, or to be walking in the same way with, or to accompany as a disciple. See, a disciple is not someone that just learns stuff in their head. A, a, a disciple is, is someone... It, it, more like an apprentice, maybe if we think of a definition in our English language we could use today to help us understand what a disciple ought to be. An apprentice is not just someone that learns head knowledge. An apprentice is someone that works alongside of someone and learns hand, hands-on how to do what's being done. That's what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to walk every day with him, in the road with him, in the life with him. Learn from him. So we can be the, the fountain that he, that he wants us to be. A fountain life is a life that, that follows Jesus. Or your other choice is this. You can have a forfeited life. Because Jesus went on and, and he said, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for, for my sake will save it. A forfeited life is a very selfish life. It's a life where we're deciding we're going to keep our lives for ourselves. We're going to do what we can to protect our lives. The little word for that Jesus used there is literally a sign and a reason to this argument that he just gave us about why we ought to follow him. And he says that, that whoever would save his life, and the word for would is the same one we saw a moment ago. It means a determined choice. So if someone making this determined choice, as opposed to making a determined choice to follow Jesus, you're making a determined active choice instead to protect your own life and live your life for yourself. 
And Jesus said, if that's what you try and do with your life, with your whole person, with your whole being, you're, you're going to lose it. You're going to mar that life. You're going to destroy that life. You'll even experience punishment as a result of it. It's a selfish choice for us to live our lives just for ourselves. That's a forfeited life. See, if, you, if all you do is live your life for yourself, the reason it's a forfeited life, when you're dead and gone, what impact did you make? What lasting legacy do you have if it was all about you? But a forfeited life is also a foolish choice for us to make. Not just a selfish choice, but a foolish choice. For what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What gain is it? What can we get? What do we win if we got all the toys You've seen maybe bumper stickers before or signs that say something like this, the one who dies with the most toys wins. I've got news for you. You don't take it with you. There's no U-Haul on the back of your purse. You don't take it with you. I saw a picture that I actually reposted this week on Facebook that someone put up of this man. I think he was 82, might have been 85, something like that. And he'd been planning his own funeral for years. And he had a 1967 Harley Davidson that he wanted to be buried, setting up on the motorcycle. So he made arrangements with the funeral home. And, and they had someone that, uh, that, that put together uh, uh, sewage containers to build one that was acrylic. And uh, they, they mount him on the motorcycle and they're going to put him, motorcycle and all, in the grave. Can you imagine riding down the interstate and seeing that come by you? I mean, they had to drive somewhere to get to the cemetery. I don't care how nice his 67 Harley is, it's not going with him. We don't get to take it with us. So what does it matter if we thought we gained the whole world? And the word for world doesn't just talk necessarily about physical, material possessions, but the, the whole world concept means the whole cosmos, the whole world system. And In other words, if you can get everything that this world could possibly offer, what good is it if all you do is, is lose or forfeit or injure or experience detriment or cast away or receive damage or suffer loss? A forfeited life is a foolish choice for us to make. Before Jesus challenged the disciples to be true disciples by taking up their cross and following him daily, before he warned them that gaining the whole world wouldn't matter if you lose your soul, if you forfeit your life, before Jesus told them, the verses that we've looked at today in Luke, immediately before it, in verse 22, Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. In other words, before Jesus said anything to them about following Him and taking up their cross, Jesus said, Look here, I'm going to go and I'm going to take up a cross and I'm going to die. I'm going before you. I'm going to pour my life out. And then he called upon his disciples to do exactly the same thing. To pick up their cross. To follow him and pour their lives out. Because anything less than that is us buying into the, to the Judas factor. 
I want you to think about this. When you think about your relationship with God, your personal relationship with God, do you think more about what you're going to get out of it? Which I, you know, I'm telling you, I mean, that's tremendous what you get out of being in a relationship with God. It's tremendous. But, but listen, do you think more about what you're going to get out of it than you think of what you can do for Him? And what you can do to touch others. Because here's a little hint for you. If you think about your relationship with God, in the majority of your time, you're thinking about, when you think about your relationship with God, you're thinking about what can I get out of it, then you're being more impacted by the Judas factor than you are being impacted by the Jesus factor. Because the Jesus factor is that He calls us to follow Him, to take up our cross daily. And follow him. One of the clearest definitions of what it means to be a Christian might be what we looked at here in Luke 9, verse 23. By the way, did you notice Jesus didn't make it sound easy following him? Did you, did you notice that? But Jesus says being his disciple means this. You put aside selfish desires, even maybe crucifying those selfish desires, putting them to death. You shoulder one's cross every day and you follow him. That's what he said a disciple is. Jesus lived a life that overflowed and he is calling us to live lives that overflow. Let's pray. Father, We thank you again for your amazing love, for what you've done for us in sending your son. Lord, those of us that have trusted in you, you've, you've given us life out of death. We're like Lazarus. God, help us to be like Mary, to pour out extravagant worship upon you. To be motivated to be very extravagant and in the way we serve you, in the way we overflow as a fountain because of what you have done for us. You've given us life out of death. God, help us to make the most of the opportunity to be your disciple. Don't let us be like Judas. Don't let us go day in and day out without being impacted by, by your presence by your words, by your actions. God, help us to understand there's a battleground and a choice that we have to make. We can live fountain lives. We can live lives that you want us to live, overflowing for you and touching others. Or we can live a forfeited life, a life that is self-focused and self-centered. And it not mean one thing in a lot of eternity. Help us to be more impacted by your son than we are. The thief whispering in our ears. Telling us to make our lives about ourselves. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. 
For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.